and I have the privilege of serving here as the pastor. Um, I just want to say welcome again, Antioch Brighton. We're in the middle of a finance series um, talking about, guess what? Finances, yes. Got it on the first one there. All right. Last week you heard from Ryan Fisher, uh, right? I wasn't even here and I heard about how good it was. Uh, that was Ryan's first time preaching at Antioch. Um, and uh, so just going to summarize a lot of some of what he talked about because it was really pivotal, big deal stuff. So Ryan's goal was to come up here and talk about um, God honoring money management and just to get to the practical layers of this thing. And um, because I got to hear, I was coaching him on his sermon, so I got to hear it twice before he preached it here. Um, it was so good, right? Talking about you need to talk with God about your financial decisions. Like you just talk with God. You pray about it. God, what do you want me to do with this money? And then you need to make a plan. A plan could look like a budget. A plan could look like a plan. And just the simple practice, right? Talk with God. Make a plan. This is good stuff. And uh, something else Ryan talked about I think is really important to just keep bringing up. He talked about this idea of giving and tithing, right? Giving is when you take your things and give them away. Or you take your money and you give it away. You can give it away to anything that you talked to God about and made a plan for, all right? Uh, and then tithing is a more specific, planful kind of giving where you give 10% of your income to support the needs of the church, right? So you talk with God about it, and then you make a plan, right? Pretty straightforward. And um, uh, we as a church are actually going to try to do something to make that process of talk with God, make a plan a little bit more straightforward because, you know, like, what do you mean talk to God? What do you mean make a plan, right? Ryan gave you a lot of practicals, including a worksheet, uh, but this week, at the end of our service, uh, one of our elders, John Clark, is going to come up and just explain a simple process that we use and we've used in past years uh, to make a plan about how you want to give from your finances this year. Okay, so that'll be coming up at the end of our service today. But really, it's a prompt for taking action, talking to God, making a plan. All right. Um, and one of the things from Ryan's sermon, this whole sermon will not be about Ryan's sermon. Trust me. Um, one of the other things that Ryan had to bring up in order to explain his point is the idea of stewardship, right? This bedrock, bottom line truth that everything belongs to God. Everything, right? And that the things we have, we don't really have them, we just sort of have possession of them while they continue belonging to God and we get some free will choice about what to do with them, right? And... Um, and so that's one of the things we're going to come back to multiple times in this sermon. Uh, and, and the second thing that I think we're going to come back to again and again is that um, I don't think this is normally what talking about finances produces in people. But the sense that I get um, in trying to lead our church through this finance series is that God is wanting to release freedom and joy. Right? As we engage with God about this thing, we're going to experience more and more freedom, more and more of a sense of liberty, being a little bit less tight about this thing, right? A little bit more liberty and more joy, more joy, like that bubbly, happy, you know, Bobby McFerrin joy, like that real thing, okay? We're going to begin to experience more and more of it by the Holy Spirit as we engage with God about our finances, all right? Um, and here's an interesting thing, right? So why, why do we do a finance series? We actually do one every year. Why do we do that? Um, let me give you two good reasons. There are other reasons, but I'm going to give you two good ones. Um, reason number one. All right, so actually, there's a couple of economists that go to our church, and I've been texting them this week to fact-check all my stuff. Um, 
All right, so according to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, the people in this room will on average make between three and seven million dollars in your lifetime. Yeah, does that feel like a big number? Try multiplying it by like the 150 to 180 people who go to this church. Okay, quick calculation. I've got like lots of accountants right here. You're, you're doing the math in your head. That is a staggering number, okay? That's a huge number, all right? Now, our church is not in some kind of like giving push where we're like trying to get some number reached or whatever. I think our desire is to think about that staggering sum of money represented by all the lifetime income of everybody in this room and think, man, if we could all of us get into this process, talk with God, make a plan, releasing our financial world into the hands of God. Imagine the power of that, right? It's not about what happens at this church. It's about what happens in, in our whole lifetimes. You might not go to Antioch Brighton for your whole lifetime. You might. That would be great. But if you don't, you still will need to decide what to do with all the lifetime earnings that God's going to give you, all right? All right, second reason why we do a finance series every year. You guys know what the number two source of conflict in marriage is? That's right, money. Good guess. We're not going to talk about number one. Uh, that'll be for another sermon. Um, but number two cause of conflict in marriages is finances, right? Because finances are a vehicle for our anxieties. It's a vehicle for our fears. It's a vehicle for some of our emotional needs, right? And so it becomes the focal point of conflict in our marriages and in other places. And um, by doing a finance series every year, we're trying to bring the word of the Lord into that space. Okay, what does God say about finances is um, important, and so is what your spouse says. Amen? All right. But again, right, God is wanting to release a spirit of joy and a spirit of liberty. He's wanting to do that for single people and for married people, for people who have conflict about their finances, for people who have agreement about their finances. Joy and liberty for every single one of us. And interestingly, our passage today is probably the most scathing part of the Bible talking about wealth and kinds of evil. Uh, the, the source of the famous quote, uh, the love of money is the source of all kinds of evil. That's a pretty memorable quote. <laughs> anyway, that's the passage we're looking at today. Um, and so uh, we're going to look at the power of living with godliness con and contentment about our finances and possessions. And we're going to talk about the danger of living with a love and a deep desire for wealth, all right? Um, but for, first, um, I feel like there's a more foundational layer for us to get to. So in order for us to tackle this passage, which is a pretty intense one, uh, I feel like there's a, a more foundational thing that we need to really get our, our claws into today. Um, uh, and that is the, the fact that everything belongs to God, right? And so we're going to do an exercise, a spiritual exercise, right? Some, some of y'all are rolling your eyes, and some of y'all are like, finally, we're going to get up and dance around the room again, all right? Um, but everybody bear with me, right? This is a spiritual exercise. And um, what we're going to do is we're going to imagine ourselves giving all of our assets to Jesus, and then we're going to imagine Jesus entrusting all of our assets back to us. A very simple process. And it's actually uh, based on something that Christian counselors do to work through anxiety and worry, right? You take the things that you're worried about, and you imagine yourself giving them to Jesus for Jesus to hold on to, right? Um, and uh, our possessions, our finances are a source of worry for us, aren't they? So 
So that's what we're going to do, okay? So everybody take a deep breath. Sort of shake out your shoulders a minute. All right, there's nothing hypnotic or weird about this. I'm going to use my normal voice, not like a hypnotist voice, okay? You don't have to close your eyes. That's also optional. Do what helps you to concentrate. And again, it is also not heretical to use your imagination to consider Jesus, right? Because you have no other way, really, of considering him. Well, that's okay. That's maybe too abstract, all right? All right, Jesus can interact with you by the Holy Spirit. I believe he's going to do that. But we're, we're using our imagination, our God-given ability to conceive of things that are not happening in the room with us. And, um, and that's a good thing, okay? Children are usually particularly good at this. All right, so here's the first step. I want you to just picture yourself sitting at a table with Jesus, okay? Don't get hung up on picturing like a perfect historical Jesus, okay? You actually don't have an imagination capable enough to imagine an infinite God, just do your best. Imagine Jesus. All right, take a deep breath. Imagine being at that table with Jesus, okay? All right. Are you there? All right, take, take the first step and just think about everything in your bank account, right? All the money in your IRA, all the money in your savings account, whatever you've got in your wallet. I want you to just imagine giving those things to Jesus. I'll give you a minute. All right. Actually, don't forget you can slide your debts across the table to Jesus too. Everything, every number associated with your finances. Go ahead and give them all to Jesus. All right, let's go to the next layer of this thing. I want you to take all of your physical possessions. Many of your physical possessions are you know, represented by a key or something like that. I want you to take your keychain, right? You get it out of your pocket and pass it along. Let Jesus hang on to it, all right? Put him in charge of your house, your car, your finances, your heirlooms, whatever those things are. All right. And, and I want to acknowledge this isn't easy to do, right? Um, there's a little bit more we can pass across the table, right? How about all the future wealth that you're ever going to make in the rest of your life? How about your inheritance that you might someday receive from your family? I want you to just imagine yourself giving all those things to Jesus. If this is hard for you, it's okay. Take a minute, index your life present and future, your inheritance, your career, your retirement plans, all of it. Make sure that Jesus is hanging on to every single one of those things. Are you there? All right. Okay. All we have really done so far is to imagine things as they already are. We're just imagining life as it already really is. Everything you have already belongs to Jesus. The Bible says, all things were made by him and for him. Jesus is already in control of everything. He's already the owner of everything that is. We've only so far just pictured things as they really are. Now let's do the other part of this transaction, right? Jesus is holding everything you own. 
want you to close your eyes again or open them if that's more comfortable to you. Take a deep breath and take a minute and let Jesus hand every single thing back to you one at a time. But don't forget to look in his eyes. Don't forget to read the emotion on his face. the joy in that space, the generous God giving you the things that are in your life, not feeling resentful that you have those things, but feeling joyful, feeling joyful. Can you feel that God is glad you have a car? Can you feel that God is glad you have a savings account? Can you feel that God is delighted that there's money in your IRA, that there is equity in your home? Can you feel joy in the heart of God who has given you those things, who have entrusted you with them? guys can open your eyes a little bit unless you want to stay in that space that's the character of God joyfully giving to you things that belong to him because that's what he's like that joy that liberty we're not conjuring it up it comes from the heart of God that's how God feels about your finances joyful free uh, and generous towards you in the things that he's he's given you to have in your life and he's not like me. I have a really nice pair of tweezers. And probably every week, my son's like, Daddy, Daddy, I need the tweezers. I found something, something in the yard. And I'm always like, don't lose the tweezers. Right? Um, that's not what Jesus is like. He has access to unlimited tweezers, right? Like, Jesus is not all anxious about what you're going to do with his stuff. So you don't need to be all anxious about what you're going to do with his stuff either. Right? It's a great thing about your 401k belonging to God is that the, super, you know, the stock market's tanking. You're like, Jesus, look what happened to your money. <laughs> are, you, are you watching this on CNBC, God? Look at all that value, you know? That's, that's not so good, Lord. Right? But hey, that made you laugh because you're experiencing a little bit of liberty, okay? A little bit of joy is getting released in this room. Thank you, Becky. Um. All right, um, so that's the bedrock reality. Everything belongs to God. And because he's so good and loves you so much and is so generous, there's a freedom and a joy and, and a liberty in us possessing things which came to us from God. All right, so now we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 6 through 12. Um, uh, we can pull it up here, yeah. So I'm just going to read through it. But uh, for context, right, this is Paul, the apostle, writing to his young disciple, Timothy. And Timothy is pastoring a church that's kind of got some problems. And one of the problems is these, uh, these influential men who have a very worldly attitude. They mostly want to be a big deal in the church. And being a big deal in the church is a way for them to make money and be somebody in the world, okay? And so Paul is speaking directly to that attitude, and he's rebuking it and saying that it stinks, okay? Well, it's, I'm paraphrasing, all right? This is what it literally says. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap 
and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, woman of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. All right. Now, let's tackle this in two parts, right? There's, the, there's kingdom wealthiness, right? Which has a lot to do with contentment, has a lot to do with godly character. But then there's worldly wealthiness, which is a, uh, an, it's an insecure, dangerous preoccupation with getting something, having something, and being somebody, okay? Um, and so those, those are the key things here, right? So let's start with godliness and contentment, all right? Godliness with contentment is great gain. I feel like we're feeling a little bit of that today. Um, but look at the rest of this stuff, right? Plunges men into ruin and destruction, right? Temptation that leads us into a trap, the root of all kinds of evil. Man, don't you love that the Bible is not just sort of like trying to say both things at the same time, right? The Bible's got a lot to say, and, you know, it's a great thing about it being from God is that he doesn't have to mince words, right? And this is, this is intended to be provocative, and it's intended as a rebuke to people who were valuing worldly wealth in a way that exploited the church, okay? Um, all right, so the first truth here that, that's coming out, hopefully it came out very obviously in the passage, the first truth here, there are ways of relating to wealth which will bring profound pain and hurt into your life. I'm going to say that again. There are ways of relating to wealth that will bring profound pain into your life, all right? And the second truth here is that godliness with contentment, true spiritual wealth, is of great gain, great value, all right? Not, not necessarily acquiring more, but walking in greater thankfulness, okay? Here's what I mean. Here's what that might look like, all right? So when you go to Market Basket, if you don't, you should, um, <laughs> When you go to Market Basket, you buy Triscuits. Everybody buys Triscuits, right? So you're, you're going down the aisle, and you, like, reach for the Triscuits, and you're like, wait a minute. And you see that, like, like the box is a little bit taller now, right? And there's, like, a strip across the top. So it's like, now, 20% more. Ah, but you get a little closer look. Actually, the box just, uh, the box just says, now be 20% more thankful for Triscuits. Hmm. Okay, right? That's like kingdom shopping right there. Do you feel that? Mm. Now, wow, like the same amount of Triscuits. Nothing changed. Box did get a little taller, I guess. But, like, but now I'm 20% more thankful about this like good-for-you salty snack. Wow. Yeah, okay, right? So maybe that, that sort of microfinance level is not really your game. All right, so I'm going to picture you walking into your financial advisor downtown, State Street, right? Some of y'all work doing that stuff, right? You walk into that office, walk into your financial advisor, 
He's wearing a suit. You're wearing jeans or whatever, you know, because you don't, you don't have to dress up for him. Right? Or her. Right? You walk in there, and he's like, hey, yeah, I got some bad news. Um, yeah, your portfolio is really taking a beating out there. It's a tough market right now. Bond market's down. Stock market's down. Derivatives are down. It's just bad. But I see a lot of opportunity here. And you're like, oh, I see a lot of opportunity. I feel like we could get 30 40% more thankful about the whole rest of your portfolio. And you'd be like, wait, what? What am I paying you for? All right? But that, that would be some, in some dimension, kingdom financial management, right? Not just acquiring more. Not just making it about compound interest. But becoming more thankful. Becoming more godly about how we deal with our money. Tracking with me here? Because the alternative to godliness with contentment is terrible, all right? In fact, let me just get really Bible-specific about that, okay? Um, <laughs> oh, no. All right, so this phrase, temptation and a trap, can you bring that back up? Temptation and a trap. Temptation, we're probably familiar with that, right? A lot of advertisements for chocolate use that noun. Um, temptation, okay? Trap, though, what does trap mean? In biblical language, this is talking about a bird trap, a spring-loaded net that slams down on top of birds. Does anybody have one of those? No, you don't have one of those. You know what you do have? You have mice traps, mouse traps. Do you know why you have them? Because you live in an apartment in Boston. I know that you do. If you're new, go ahead and buy them now. Yep, you need like five or six. And you know what you put in your mouse trap? You put temptation in there. That is what you put in a mouse trap. And the best temptation to put in your mousetrap is peanut butter. Because the cheese is not shelf-stable, and they don't like it that much. I want you to put peanut butter in there. Okay. And the metaphor we're talking about here, all right, we're going to be on the mousetrap thing for like one or two more minutes, all right? The reason mousetrap is the metaphor and not sticky trap is because the sticky trap is a long, slow death. You should not kill mice that way. It's bad to do that, okay? Um, but the snap trap, right? That mouse is like, oh, man, peanut butter. Oh, that's what I really want. You know what that mouse should do? He should talk to God and make a plan. <laughs> uh-uh. The mouse is like, oh, man, peanut butter. That's what I want so bad. And the peanut butter, that desire for wealth, pulls that mouse in. And he's just thinking, oh, this is it. I made it. Finally, that thing I've always wanted, then Bam! Right? It's actually a painless death, the mousetrap. Sorry if I made that too intense. That's how it works. We're either pursuing godliness and contentment related to our finances, or we're sniffing out the peanut butter that is attached to the snap trap. Okay? And <laughs> you're tracking with me? And it's, it's, I didn't make this up. This is an actual biblical metaphor, temptation and a trap. I just... Kind of made it a little bit more sound effecty, okay? Um, and there's another thing I want to mention, right? So we're talking about this idea, growing in godliness, growing in contentment, growing in our trust of the Lord for him to hold all of our possessions. And um, like, does anybody know a little bit about French history? You just give a little key. I know a little bit. Thank you. All right? So there's this person, Marie Antoinette, right? What was her deal? She's like, oh... The poor people, 
they are still discontent with not having any money. Let them eat whatever, you know. And they, they right? I was just in France, you know, I walked by, oh, look, Place de la Bastille, what happened here? Oh, shoot, right? So she was murdered by people in her country. Um, you know, I'm not going to say that whether that was good or bad. Um, but what was the deal there with Marie Antoinette? She was condemning the poor for not being more thankful, right? Why is that wrong to do? Well, let me tell you why. In general, the less that someone possesses, the more thankful they are for what they have. I can't claim it as a universal, but it's been true in my experience. The more someone possesses, the harder they need to work to live at a place of continual thankfulness and joy and freedom. All right? So this isn't a message for the billion people in the world who make a dollar a day. This is a message for the other eight billion people. All right? All right. And so, um, so let's talk about the peanut butter, right? What is that thing, that temptation that pulls us in to where we overextend uh, and then the, snap, the trap snaps closed, right? And I want to talk about this in two dimensions. The first is just practical, okay? And the second is moral. Now, in the practical dimension, right, um, this looks like gambling addiction, right? I don't know that we've talked about gambling addiction here at this church before. It's a, it's a spiritual and a practical problem, okay? If you're in gambling addiction, you need to come and talk to somebody at church, so we can pray for you. We can be on the journey with you. Because here's what happens, right? When you, you start gambling, you win some, you lose some, and the desire to make back your losing becomes overpowering, right? And it's the peanut butter on the trigger of the snap trap. Snapchat, right? Snap trap. The peanut butter on the snap trap. And it causes you to stick your neck further and further and further out, and you expose yourselves to more and more and more layers of risk that God didn't call you to, they weren't a part of talk to God, make a plan, right? And then suddenly, the, the trap snaps closed, and it all comes due, and your life falls apart. Come and talk to somebody before that happens, right? Now, I'm not, I'm not, not going to get up here and rebuke credit card spending, but they, like, you see the same thing can happen, right? You got to have that thing. Oh, and then you got to have that other thing, and then you got to have that other, other thing, right? We're not, pray, we're not talking to God, we're not making a plan, and our neck gets a little further out and a little further out and a little further out, and then suddenly we're in big trouble, right? Um, it happens in the stock market, right? People chasing the bubble. Like you, 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 you know, like you're investing, you think it's a great investment, so you borrow on leverage, and then you leverage your leverage, and suddenly you feel like you're making big, and then in an instant it can be gone, Right? What we need to do is we need to talk to God. We need to make a plan. Um, because I looked this up, actually. Um, the stock market lost 89% of its value, the Dow anyway, which was an index of the stock market, between 1929 and 1930, about two years, lost 89% of its value. Yeah. I mean, two years is a little bit of time. But in you know, financial history, that's an, that's an instant. You know, pray that that would never happen in our generation, Right? Are you, are you tracking with me here, right? We need to talk to God and make a plan. We need to live with godliness and contentment. We can't chase the peanut butter. The trap's going to come snap on us. All right? And so those are some of the practicals, right? Let's talk about the moral things. Like the classic is you're filling out your finances in TurboTax, and you're like, nah, do I really want to research 15 more minutes to figure out if this is, if this is a deductible? Like, bah, and you just put it in, right? Well, yeah, what is that? What is that deal? What, what causes you to do that? It's, some of it is the desire for wealth, 
right? The desire to not worry about what you really owe to the government. I mean, Jesus says, render under Caesar that which is Caesar's. He's talking about paying your taxes. Um, another one, right? Uh, lying about the value of things. So I recently was trying to sell my car. Nobody really wanted to buy it, so we got, got rid of it. Um, but, but I'm like listing my car, and I'm like, well, you know, it's got a couple problems. And I'm like, it's got this problem, it's got this problem, uh, and this problem, uh, and it's got this problem. And I'm like, felt convicted. I was like, oh, actually, I, should I just write down all the problems? <laughs> Are you tracking with me? The desire to make money selling my car competed with godliness and contentment, which required me to disclose all the stupid things that were wrong with it, right? So on my Facebook Marketplace posting, it's just like, and then the CD player, and then the headlights, and then this one time my mechanic said this thing, and then the shocks are a little bit bad, and, you know, if you go around a corner really fast, I'm like, oh, my gosh, this is the <laughs> dumbest car sale advertisement ever. But do you, do you see the competition there? The desire to make money competing with being totally honest with this person that I've never met before who didn't want to buy my car, right? Um, and that happens in our workplace too, right? A lot of people, if you're lucky to have a sales job, you're selling something. If you have a customer service job, you're talking about problems with a product that you represent. It's heavy duty, right? Accurately representing things the way they are. It's a moral risk that we take. Um, I remember, um, no, I won't get into that. Um, and, and it's not enough to just talk about this in vague terms. I'm going to try and tell a story about a stupid financial thing that I did because I wanted the peanut butter, all right? Thankfully, the trap did not break my neck and end my career as a person who makes financial decisions. Um, but this is, this is something happened. So this summer, we bought a house. Praise God, that wasn't a bad financial decision, as far as we know. Um, we prayed about it and made a plan. Um, but... Uh, we, we didn't think we were going to buy the house, and then suddenly we owned it. It was like, oh, boy, oh, I wish I had more time to make a plan for how we're going to live in a house. And so I'm like staying up late at night, going on, going on Craigslist, Facebook Marketplace. I'm wheeling and dealing, right? It's like, man, I used to buy and sell in a marketplace in, in Morocco. I could do this, you know? So I'm like trying to be out there wheeling and dealing to make a deal. And uh, I decided we were going to get a terrific washing machine. I mean, I just decided we were going to get the best and that I was going to pay, like, nothing. So I'm, like, every night, literally every night on Facebook and Craigslist looking for somebody who's suddenly moving out of their apartment and needs to sell their super nice washing machine because it happens. And, uh, and I, had, I had made up my mind this was going to happen. And so I was texting, calling people, like, every day. And then I found this one washer. I was like, this is an unbelievable deal. I found it. And the guy's like, yeah, I had a couple people interested, but I just need, if you really want it, you can pay me in advance. I'll let you have it. And I was, like, I was like, awesome, let's do it. And so like, apparently if you send money with Cash App, you never, ever can get it back. All right, peanut butter. And so I'm like, yes, here's the money. What time do you want to meet? Right? So I set up this meeting time, and I drive out to Charlestown, and there's no person. And then you call the number. You're like, hey, bro, where are you at? And it's like, this number is out of service. Beep, boop, boop. And you're like, oh, man, now I feel really dumb. Right? Well, praise God that that happened with the dishwasher and not with the house. But do you guys see the bigger picture here? I mean, I was stupid. Right? I was doing that exact thing that this passage is talking about. Right? I mean, dishwasher, like, okay, it wasn't that much money. Not dishwasher, washing machine. 
Um, it wasn't that much money, but the principle was at work in my life. I had decided that I had to have this thing. And it was that inordinate desire for this particular possession that got a hold of me, caused me to wander from the path and something stupid happened to me. Now, financial, bad financial things might happen to you even if you obey Jesus. But it's a bummer when they happen according to this passage, right? The way it's talking about, right? Some people eager for riches have pierced themselves with many griefs, right? So I can't promise there will never be any financial griefs in your life. But this passage certainly says that if we're, if we're chasing that piece of peanut butter on the end of the mousetrap, uh, we're going to regret it. But what's the opposite of that, right? What's the opposite of chasing the peanut butter? I was talking to Ron Good. Ron Good used to go to this church, a successful businessman. And I was talking to him about finances once. He's like, he's like, John, let me tell you the secret to all of this. Because it's called the get rich slow scheme. Right? The get rich slow scheme. I was like, I like that. He said, um, he says, it's from the Bible. It says, he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. And I was like, oh, the Bible says that? I like that, right? And the basic idea here is that we, we live with a continual thankfulness, a desire for godliness. Godliness means living like God, representing God's character. We live that way with regard to everything in our life, including our finances, and we're not trying to get rich quick. We're not trying to make a big splash and win it all big. We're trying, we are becoming wealthy because God is entrusting us with more and more things because he's just like that, okay? And it's happening little by little as acts of faithfulness build up. And sometimes we're gonna be obeying God and we're gonna like pray and make a plan. God's gonna be like, I'm gonna decrease your net wealth. How's that feel? Boop, 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 right? That's, that's your portfolio going down as Jesus liquidates it for you, right? Sometimes God will ask you to do stuff like that. And won't you be glad that you've been practicing thankfulness along the way, right? That's the liberty. That's the freedom. And the freedom is that God can cause you to become wealthy. And you don't feel guilty about being wealthy. And God can cause you to become more poor. And you don't feel ashamed about being poor, right? God can, God can give you some huge amount of money. God can give you a little tiny amounts of money a long time over time, right? And you're able to be joyful in receiving it from God. You're able to be joyful in releasing it to God's kingdom. You tracking with me? And, and by the grace of God, we're going to avoid that other thing, right? Being pierced with many griefs, wandering from the faith, right? What else does this passage talk about? Being plunged into ruin and destruction, amen? All right, so to, today, um, we're, we're going to do that exercise. So there's, John Clark's going to come up in a minute and explain it. But before he does, I just want to talk about a couple pieces of this practically as a response. Right? Let's look at this last passage, part of the passage. Can you bring that back up, David? So this is actually something I pray for my son, not related to finances, but this is just such a beautiful blessing. It says, but you, man of God, flee from all this. What should the mouse do when he sees the peanut butter? But you, mouse, flee from all this. Flee. Right? Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. It's talking about godly character talking about loving Jesus and allowing what he cares about to be growing and cultivated in our heart. And look at this next part. Fight the good fight of the faith. It's talking about the missional purposes of Jesus on earth, right? Wealth might be increasing. Wealth might be decreasing. Our heart is set on the missional purposes of Jesus. 
in our house, in our neighborhood, at our school, at our workplace, in the nations of the earth. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Finances are one tiny part of the bigger picture of what God is working out in your life. It has to do with your destiny. It has to do with your purpose, with why God created you. And your finances are going to have to play a part in that. Um, but that is where it fits in. Amen? All right. So um, sometimes following Jesus will be parallel with you becoming more wealthy. Sometimes following Jesus is going to be perpendicular to you becoming more wealthy. And that's okay. We're a part of God's kingdom. We're growing in godliness more and more every day. We're growing in thankfulness. And let me just say it, man. This passage, right, we are not mercenaries. That's what Paul is rebuking. The way we participate in church and in every other area, we're not mercenaries. We're volunteers, right? We showed up at the Alamo just because we believe in this thing. Nobody's paying us. We don't know if we're going to make it back out, right? The desire is to be there full of contentment, living a life of godliness the best that we can, um, and being faithful to what God's given to us, and receiving the joy and graciousness from the Lord along the way. Amen? All right, so John, why don't you come on up here? So uh, John's going to walk us through a real simple kind of a format that we as a church use for that process. Talk to God, make a plan. And, um, and just to like, just to frame this, uh, it's not weird, it's not manipulative. So John's going to talk about these envelopes. Uh, I, no one ever looks in the envelopes. In fact, uh, during COVID, this is kind of a funny story, um, some of the envelopes couldn't be mailed and they're still in my desk unopened. I don't know what to do with it. Do I shred them? Okay. So um, this is, it's about a personal commitment. It won't be read by anybody at our church. It's just a simple way for you to communicate with yourself about talking to God and making a plan. So come on up, John. Yeah, so the greeters, if you can start passing those out, that'd be great. So these, these are what we call commitment cards, and these are for people who call Antioch Brighton home. John, can you introduce yourself? Can I what? Introduce yourself. Who are you, oh, John? I'm John Clark. I'm, I'm uh, an elder here, and I'm the director of business operations for our five churches and missions org. You'd think I'd know that. Um, <laughs> we're growing. That's great, right? That Woo! means I can't yeah. keep up, literally. Um, Okay, so here's what you're going to do. You're going to get those cards, and you're going to pray, pray through them. You're going to ask the Lord, what is my right next step of faith? So if you're not giving anything, can you give 1%? If you're giving 5%, can you give 6 or 7 And it's, it's not because you're, the church needs your money. We don't need your money. God's going to take care of us. Amen. Right? This is because... And the, the, one of the reasons that I actually thought John was going to say is Jesus actually talks about finances more than anything else except the kingdom of God. But in the context of finances, he's talking about the kingdom of God. So the least we can do is talk about finances once a year, right? So you're going to look at these cards. You're going to pray. You're going to fill them out. And unless you want an accountability partner, you don't need to tell any other soul about this, okay? What you're going to do is you're going you're gonna to write on the cards whatever you felt like God said. You're going to um, put the card in the envelope that, that they're giving you. You're going to actually seal the envelope, and then you're going to address it to yourself. 
And like John said, nobody looks at these envelopes. Nobody's going to see these because this is between you and the Lord, not you and the church, not you and John, not you and anyone else. And then next year at about this time, we're going we're gonna to print out giving statements. We're going to stick the giving statements with that envelope in another envelope, and we're going to send those back to you. And you can look at it with the Lord and say, how did I do? Or God, did you adjust it in any way or whatever? Um, but again, it's between you and, and the Lord. So take a few minutes right now. Pray through the cards. Fill them out. Again, seal them. Address them back to yourselves. And then we have baskets on each side here. You're going to put them in the baskets, and we'll send them back to you next year. Um, and then, so again, these are for Antioch, people who call Antioch Brighton home. If you don't call Antioch Brighton home, what, I, I didn't actually ask John if this is okay, but I'm sure it is. Um, just ask the Lord how, how he feels about you. Why does he love you? Why does he appreciate you? And I want you to take your phone and your notes app or a notebook and write that down. And that's a good practice anyway. Just write down, God, why do you love me? Because he does love you. And he's not going to say anything discouraging. He's only going to say encouraging things. Um, Becky, did I miss anything? Okay, great. So I'm going to pray for us. Father, thank you that you, um, you, you own everything, Lord. You own the cattle on a thousand hills, Lord. That, Father, all of our finances are your finances anyway, God. I ask for each and every person in here. Um, not only that they would they would hear from you what their next right step of faith is, Lord, but they'd have a fresh revelation of who you, who you are and who you've created them to be. In Jesus' name, amen.